Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that we're about to study. We thank you that it is alive and powerful. That, Lord, just the the reading of it and the hearing of it, even without any exposition or teaching, Lord, that it, it is able to penetrate our hearts and our lives, Lord, that it, it can renew our minds, that it can transform us. And Father, we're thankful for the privilege we have of having it so readily available to us. Lord, we can open up our smartphones, our tablets. We can get it instantaneously, Father. We can have verses sent to us every day via a text. Father, we have your word in any store and shop we can go and we can purchase your word that we can have copies of it everywhere that we are. And Father, we're thankful for that word. We're thankful for this church that has so faithfully proclaimed your word. Father, we're thankful for the churches in our community that even right now as we speak are in Sunday school hours and they are in small groups and they are in uh, church services just like ours that are proclaiming your word, Lord, and it is impacting and changing lives. The Father, right now that souls are being saved because of the reading and the proclaiming of the very word that we're about to partake of this morning. And Father, we thank you for it. Father, we thank you that you have given it to us. Father, we thank you that we can sing songs like we've sung this morning that proclaim your name, that that give us like this last song, that give us the gospel in a nutshell, that we are able to, to proclaim the truth of the gospel Lord, the reason why we can praise you. Father, we're, give, we're saying other songs this morning. Talk about your never-ending love, how you pursue us. And Father, I'm thankful this morning that, Lord, you pursued me even when I was rejecting you, Father. You still pursued and, 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 and came after me. So, Father, when we sing songs like that, I think of that moment when, when I surrendered to you. And, Lord, that you changed my heart and you changed my life. So, Father, we thank you for the songs that we have sung. We thank you for the fellowship, Lord, that we've been able to encounter this morning as we've come in and necks have been hugged and hands have been shaked and smiles have been shared and children have run around in the midst of us. Father, we thank you for a sense of family, for for bonds that are, are, are great. And, Father, we thank you just for this time that we have to be together this morning. The Lord, that it is encouraging for us to be together, to worship corporately, to hear your word proclaimed together. And Father, I pray that you would bless the remainder of our time here this morning. Lord, what we've had here together already has been good. Father, we have entered your courts, and Lord, we pray that, God, you would open our ears and our minds to the receiving of your word this morning, that it would, again, change our hearts, change our minds, or that we would be impacted by it. And Lord, you would help us to apply it to our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit as he guides us and teaches us this morning through your word. And Father, we ask all these things in the mighty and awesome name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Philippians? If uh, you're new with us, or maybe it's been a couple of weeks. We are in the midst of a series called uh, Worry Less, Live More. And uh, it's a, a series based on a Paul's words to the Philippians in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And in this particular book of the Bible, uh, Paul is actually writing the book of Philippians from a jail cell. And what's interesting about that is if you go through and read the, 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 the book of Philippians, what you find 
is that it is a, a book about rejoicing. It's a book about, you know, you can find that he rejoices in this and he, he thanks God for that. And it, it's all over the book of the Bible. And, and if you were to, to just stop and, 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 and not realize that he was writing from jail, you think, well, this is a really good book. But what startles us sometimes is the fact that he's writing this book from a jail cell, yet there's all this enthusiasm and this encouragement and this joy that is being communicated not only to the Philippians, who were under their own persecution and were under their own set of adversities and anxieties based on the fact that one, Paul was in jail, but two, the persecutions that they were facing. But this is just flowing out of Paul's heart. And what we find is we find why all this is taking place. And it's because of Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine. Some Bible writers think that Paul dealt with a, a was kind of a, a bundle of nerves that he, he dealt with anxieties and, and different kind of emotional distresses and that, that may have been his thorn in the flesh that he asked God to remove and, and didn't. You can read about Paul's words there and, and what he says there. But what we find is that it begins kind of in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul goes to Troas and he discovers that uh, he was there for, for ministry, but his partner in crime, well, not crime, but his partner in ministry did not join him there. And so he, he, he's overcome with this anxiety, wondering why he's not there. And, and, and so what we find is over the course of between there and what Paul writes in Philippians is about a seven-year time period. And in this text, Paul talks to us about overcoming worry and anxiety and everything else that, that's going on in his life. And so and that kind of gets us all caught up to kind of where we're at uh, today in terms of the text. We'll give you a little bit more review over these practices that Paul ca calls them uh, as we kind of get in. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Um, you know, one of those things that I like to do as, as I read through the Bible is, is ask myself, what would I do if I was in this particular guy's situation? Um, in, in the past in our church, we studied the books of Job and Nehemiah, guys who did hard things uh, and, or endured hard things for the Lord. Uh, Job certainly went through his share of, of afflictions and got to see God in a whole new light. But as you think about some of the scriptures, have you ever just asked yourself, what would I have done if I would have been in their situation? I think of Abraham uh, in the book of Genesis when, when God tells him, it's in chapter 12, I believe it is, that, that God says, hey, I want you to pack your bags and I, want you to, I just want you to leave where you're at now. I want you to pack your bags and when you get there, I'll tell you where I get, when you get where I want you to be, I'll tell you to stop. And we find that Abraham packs his family up and his things up and he, and he heads out. And all God gives him is a promise or what about the, the, the story of, of, of Gideon in the book of Judges? Gideon's this guy that he's, he's, he's in a, an area of land that's, that, that, they're, that, that is being attacked and, and he's in a wine press treading grain so his family can eat. And God calls him, sends an angel to him and calls him to, to be essentially a judge. And, and, and he says, I want you to put together an army and I want you to go to battle. And, and Gideon's like, are you sure, Lord? Let me lay this fleece out. And he answers the prayer. He says, well, I'm not really sure, God. I'm the guy. So he lays another fleece out. God answers that one. And, and he takes a, an army of like 20, well, there's several thousand people. And he dwindles it down to 300. And he says, now, Gideon, I want you to go to war. And I asked myself, if I was Gideon, would I, went, would I have gone into battle against an army of where I was greatly out, exponentially outnumbered, would I have gone to war 
with that small number of people? Would I have trusted the Lord to do what God was, was trying to do? And, and, here's, and, and we can talk about David and, and we can talk about Nehemiah or Job or Esther or Ruth or Paul or Peter. You can take your pick of anybody in the Bible, but if they trusted Christ in every situation, the question for us is why shouldn't we? If they trusted God in every situation, why shouldn't we? Uh, if they found courage in the Lord, so should we. And if they, and we, here's the thing that was different from them. We have the benefit of reading how God proves himself over and over and over again, not only in the scriptures, but also in biographies and autobiographies and church history, how God has proved himself over and over and over again and how he is faithful and seeing how he has worked things out in the lives of his people all throughout history. That the lives of believers through the ages have taught us that God imparts grace as we need it. When the writer of Hebrews wanted to encourage his nervous readers to, to persevere under the pressure that they were encountering, he says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then he goes on to list examples of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and many other Old Testament heroes who through faith conquered kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions and gained what was promised. So we have 2,000 years more of, of what Paul or the writer of Hebrews writes in, in, in Hebrews 11 we have 2,000 additional years of church history in our Bibles and Christian history to add to that. And if we want to strengthen our faith and we want to overcome anxiety, we've got to learn from their examples. Because I don't know about you, when I worry about things or get anxious about stuff, it's not really, it really for me, and this is just me, for me, it is a matter of faith. It is me doubting that God is able to do what Melissa shared with us in the scriptures this morning, that with God, there's nothing impossible. Now, if I believe that, not just it's a whimsical thing that I tell other people when they are facing impossible situations, well, just have faith because God can do anything. But if it is something that is rooted and grounded deep in my soul that I believe God can do anything and everything, then there are some areas of our life that that has got to impact, and one of them is, is worry and anxiety, that God can take care, of, take care of things. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong. If you've not been here for this series, let me just make a, a, a statement real quick. This is not to say that if you suffer from worry and anxiety, you are weak in the faith. I'm not saying that. There are other factors that play into this. I'm saying that our faith plays a factor in us overcoming it. And so we develop our faith. And that's what this whole series has been about is us developing this faith. And so we have, have talked about the practices of, and let's read the text. Philippians chapter four, verse four is where we've been reading. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. So that's the first practice, the practice of rejoicing, that we think about the things that we are good in our life. We rejoice in those things. We find joy in them. And he says in verse five, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. So he says, we need to have a gentle spirit to practice gentleness, to have a gentle spirit. He says, the Lord is at hand. So that's the third principle or practice is the nearness of the Lord, that we remind ourselves of two things. One, that God is near to us, that he is with us. 
but two, that the Lord's coming is near, that either we're gonna go be with him or he's gonna come be with us, that life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes, and that all the things that concern us on this earth will be as nothing compared to what God has prepared for us in heaven, that the sufferings of this world will pale in comparison to the glories that will be revealed to us. And so we focus on the nearness of the Lord. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, this is verse six, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We've talked, this was a twofold and one was the practice of prayer, that we set time in our day, that we spend time praying and, and, and seeking God's face, but also the, the practice of gratitude, that we, we, we take every, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, this attitude of, uh, the attitude of gratitude, really, that we, that we thank God and we praise him for the things that, that he has done, the good things that we have. And then look what happens in verse seven when we, do, when, we, when, we, when we put these things into practice. Look what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that there is a peace that God promises us, and we're gonna talk about it in a couple weeks, this peace that God promises us transcends everything. It is more than we can imagine. It is greater than we could ever picture. It surpasses all understanding and it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Where does worry and anxiety attack our hearts and minds? What does Paul say? Put these things into practice and the peace of God will will come and it will protect, it will guard your heart and your mind. And then he says, finally, brothers, and this isn't like I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm getting to the point. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, this is the, last, the, the, the one we studied last week, the, the practice of thinking. He says, think on these things. What do we have a tendency to do when we worry? We don't think on these things. We think about the things we're worrying about. And we're like Alice. We chase these things down this rabbit hole and one thing becomes five things and five things become 10 and 10 become 100. And the next thing you know, this, what started as this little trickle meandering its way through our mind has now become a raging river that, that everything is just falling into. So we think about these things. Now let's get to verse nine where we're gonna be at today. He says, what you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So what's our our topic this morning? Our topic is this practice of discipleship. As we practice rejoicing, and gentleness, and nearness, and prayer, and thanksgiving, and thinking, we've got to add this practice of discipleship. Well, what the word disciple literally means learner. It has to do with following and emulating the teaching and example of another. And so if we belong to Christ, we're primarily his disciples, but he will use others to encourage us, to instruct us, to teach us, to mentor us, and to disciple us in our faith. And they might be people from our past. There could be people from our past, like grandparents or, or, or even historical figures that, 
that, that their shadow looms large over our lives, the impact that they've had in our lives. Some of you are here today because you had a, a grandma or a grandpa that was, that was, that was saved and, and, and they brought you to church as a grandparent. Others of us are impacted by people who step into our present lives and, and influence us that way. They come alongside us when we were a new believer or we're, we're, we're just in a place in life and someone sees that, they're, that, that we're in a place that was similar to where they were in. They come alongside us and they put our arms and, and God causes us to cross paths at the right time in order to, to help us in our, our walks with the Lord. But we cannot overcome anxiety and worry without the help of God-given allies that the Lord provides us. You see, this discipleship is a lifelong process. We never outgrow our need for, for disciples and mentors and, and advisors and friends to come alongside us in our walks with the Lord. And moving from anxious fear to unshakable faith doesn't happen in a day or a week. But we can move from weakness to strength by persevering over time, especially when we take advantage of the help that God brings into our lives. Think about Paul's encouraging words earlier in Philippians in chapter one, verse six. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That he who begins a good work in us will see it through to completion. That he's gonna use his word and he's gonna use our prayer time and he's gonna use the lives of other people to bring that through to completion. And it involves practice and progress. The psalmist in Psalm 138.8 says this, the Lord will fulfill his promises or his purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. See, here's the thing. God's not going to quit on us. God will not quit on you, but we cannot quit on God. We can't, we can't quit on him. He's not going to quit on us, so let's not quit on him. As time presses on, we can have a greater calmness and composure, growing as sturdy as oaks, rooted and grounded. I love that phrase we find in Colossians, rooted and grounded in him. Our anxieties can relax in his love. We can lean on his promises. We can stand on those promises, that those promises aren't just for other people when they're dealing with their stuff, but those promises are for me when I'm dealing with mine. That it's not just pithy Christian sayings that we throw out kind of nonchalant when someone else is hurting and suffering, but they are scriptures and the promises of God that I stand on, that, that my faith is anchored to when it feels like things are out of control in my life. We can trust in his grace and his peace in our lives can transcend our anxieties and our fears and our worries and our concerns. And, and, and let's just state something that's obvious. We're gonna have regressions along the way. Like, I don't want you to think like this is gonna be a, you know, if we, if we practice these things, like we're never gonna regress, we're never gonna have moments of weakness. The, the fact is that those things are gonna happen. We'll have battles in which we struggle to stay in the fight. We'll have moments where a, a scent or a sight or, or a, someone will say something that will trigger something in us and we'll fall back into some state of, 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 of a past event where we'll worry and anxiety and trauma will kind of rise back to the surface. But I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 24, 16. And this deals with a whole lot more than just worry and anxiety. But listen to what the... What, 
Solomon writes, he says, the godly, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again, but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. So what happens when we fall down? We, is it, it must be lightning or something. Anyway, we'll not worry about it. If I get shocked and passed out, someone's gonna give me mouth to mouth and we'll just pop right back up and go, go forth. Or just kick me in the chest a couple times. And Ashley's like, I don't know it. But anyway, um, sorry. That's the ADD brain. Um, where was I? Regression, right, regression. We regressed, perfect timing with that one. We regressed and now we're not aggressing, but anyway. So regression, we're gonna fall back. But listen, we get back up again. We get back up again. Let's talk about discipleship, all right? Let's look at Philippians 4.8 because uh, all this brings us to Philippians 4.8 and the lesson, is, the lesson here is simple. If you're battling worry and anxiety, find people who know how to trust the Lord better than you and study their lives. God gives us examples. Ask them about their faith. Read their stories. Be discipled by their examples. You know, and, and these people can be found in the scriptures. They can be found in books. They can be found by looking around to people around you. It might involve changing the way we think. And you may be saying to yourself, well, I don't need any help. I can handle this by myself. You can't. Like, let's just, let's just state the obvious. Because here's what a lot of us tell ourselves, and I, I want us to understand this. A lot of us tell ourselves, I don't need anybody's help, and you've been struggling with the same thing for years, and you keep telling yourself, I don't need any help, and it's obvious to everyone but you that you do. Your burdens are not meant for you to bear. The Bible specifically tells, tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, so when good things happen in your life, you share them. It's not bragging. If you're bragging on anybody, you're bragging on the Lord and his faithfulness. But we also weep with those who weep. We bear with one another their burdens. That's what the scripture teaches us, that we do that. And so you're not proving your strength to everybody by handling your burdens and your cares on your own. You're not, you're not impressing anybody with that. And in fact, all you're doing is burying yourself in a deeper hole that's gonna be harder for you to get out of once you finally decide that you need to open up. And so find somebody. God gives us the examples in the scriptures. God has placed people in this church. And here's the surprising thing. It has been amazing to me that there are times when I'm struggling with something and I think nobody's gonna understand, nobody's gonna get it, nobody's dealing with what I'm dealing with. And I'll find myself in this vulnerable position and I'll open my mouth and I'll begin talking to somebody about it and they'll look at me and they'll be going like this. And I'm going, why are you going like this? Are you just hearing me and acknowledging what I'm saying? He's like, no, I've been there. Like, I know exactly what you're going through. And you know what happens to me? Right, our minds are blown. Why? Because Satan is feeding us the lie that nobody else is doing is going through what I'm going through. Nobody else is dealing with what I'm dealing with. Nobody can understand these struggles that I have. And in reality, the person sitting in the same pew as you is probably either going through the same things or has gone through the same things. And they're thinking the same thing. And they just said, if someone could just come alongside me and walk with me through this, life would be so much better. But what do we do? We come in, we shake hands with people. Hey, how was your week? Oh, my week was good. 
It was fantastic. It was fine. And deep down inside, like you're hurting because the week was not good. Things were hard at work or things are hard in the family. And there's worry and there's anxiety and there's fear. But we don't let any of that stuff out because boy, what would they think of us if we let anything like that out? I'll tell you what they'd think. Thank God somebody else. Thank God there is somebody else because I'm experiencing these same, these same things. These same things are going on inside my heart in my life. So we think we don't need help, but we do. And we need God's word and we need people around us and we need to be mentored, invested in, we need to be taught, we need to be encouraged. And it's this practice of discipleship and mentoring that occupies Philippians 4.9. And according to this verse, we can tap into a fourfold influence. Let's read it again. Verse four, or chapter four, verse nine. I want you to underline some words here. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And listen, the Bible doesn't waste words. Each of these terms gives us a different way in which we can be mentored or do some mentoring. And so discipleship, in other words, kind of occurs along four tracks, lessons, writings, sermons, and examples. Let's talk about these. Paul begins this verse with, he says, uh, what you have learned. may start yelling if I see another flash of lightning out there. What you have learned. I'm the only thing, the only one attached to, attached to something electronic today, so... But this is how Paul begins this verse. It, it begins, it refers to these life-changing lessons that God teaches us through those who sins across his path. I think back on my life and I think about people that God, you think of his providence and his sovereignty and it blows your mind. Think about the people that God has placed in your life that has brought you to this moment, that has brought you here. For me, it, it goes back 30 years probably when I was a, a first grader in, in Joplin, Missouri, and we started attending uh, the Free Will Baptist Church in Joplin, Missouri, and there was a guy by the name of Richard Robinson that, that, that pastored that church. And up until that point, like for my family, like church was something we kind of did, you know, we just kind of showed up, but we didn't like, my parents weren't really involved in any kind of ministry. Uh, they weren't really involved in the church. We kind of would slide in. Uh, they'd send us to children's church and we'd slide back out. Didn't have any really, not that I can remember anyway weren't people who come to our house and visit with us and hang with us. But I can remember it was there that Richard Robinson got my dad involved in ministry. And when you get the dad involved in ministry, the mom gets involved. And so my mom starts singing like blended worship. So they, we would do hymns and my mom would get up and sing a couple of choruses. And, and that still impacts me. You remember that song, G, you know, there's just something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance. I remember that. Why? Because as a seven-year-old sitting in a pew, about right here where the Bostons and Ashley are sitting, I would sit up front and I remember my mom singing that song. I remember my mom saying that was one of her favorite songs. What I didn't realize was that about 20 years after that, I would go to work for the same Richard Robinson, my first ministry position, and how God placed those things together. I think about the guys that God in his providence brought together on the college campus that I attended. I didn't attend a, a Bible college or a Christian school. It was a liberal arts university in the middle of a cornfield. But God brought 
Bart and Josh and Lance and Noah and Todd brought all these guys to this campus. Why? Because they were the, they were the guys that I needed to be around in that, in, that, in that season of my life. Men who just weren't professing to be Christians, but guys who were actually living it out. Peers, people I could look to that were on, on my, in my place in life. So what things that I had, had learned and things that I had, had, had seen, and I'm watching how even now in the midst of this season of life that I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking around and there's not a person that, I'm, that I can see this morning that has not impacted my life in some way, in a positive way, let me clarify that, has not impacted my life in some positive way. Whether it was a card you sent at an opportune time, you didn't know, but, but it was something that I needed. Or, or just seeing your face, or just you saying something about praying, or just, it, I could go by and just person by person go through this church and call you by name and talk about a way that you have impacted my life. That you have been crucial to my development as a man, as a dad, as a pastor, as just a Christian. Because of your influence in my life. And if that's true for me, it's true for the other people that we're going to church with, that we have impacted and influenced others' lives and other people's lives. I think about how Ashley has, has influenced my life and watching her, you know, in about a week, we're going to celebrate 13 years of marriage and watching her grow in grace and wisdom, watching even in this like past year has, how God has kind of blossom some things in her life and, and getting to watch that and then, and then learning as a husband that my wife really has some things I need to listen to. Right? Amen, dudes. You can do that. It's okay to let them know. You may be thinking it. You can let them know that once in a while. But over 13 years learning to listen to the things that my wife's sensitive to that I have no clue about. The people that God, place, that God places in our lives. And so what we, what we learn, whatever your stage in life, God has put someone in your life or soon will who can mentor you from a life uh, of anxiety into a life of peace. That God can bring someone into your life who can take you deeper in the life of faith with life-changing lessons. Look what he says. So whatever, uh, whatever you have, what you have learned, what you have received. And we're also discipled into peace by life-changing writings. So there's life-changing lessons, life-changing writings. Notice uh, what Paul says. He says, what they receive. Well, let me ask you a question. What did they receive from Paul? Notes, letters, written teachings, such as the book of Philippians. His entire letter to the church was an exercise in mentoring. Whenever we read Philippians, Paul is still mentoring. He's mentoring us. God is mentoring us through the inspired words that, that he breathed out into Paul's letter. This is, this is mentoring through reading. One of the most influential books outside of the Bible, if I had to pick one book that impacted me more than any book outside of the Bible, it was a book by, uh, written by a man named Jim Cimbala. I've never met Jim Cimbala. One day I would love to attend his church. He pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Some of you may be familiar with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Uh, his wife started and, and leads that, but, but Jim is the pastor of, of the church. And he wrote a book a long time ago called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And that book is about uh, him getting a call to go to a church that was really about to shut its doors. And he goes and he tells the story about how God breathed 
fresh wind and fresh fire into that church and, and kind of tells the story of the beginnings of what we now know as the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he's actually, he goes and he pastors these two congregations and they decide to come together and, you know, they're in downtown New York and how they begin ministering to people and the life change and different things. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty incredible stuff. I didn't realize how much it was going to impact my life until, until later when I began pastoring myself. But, but that's, that's, that's what we talk about in this mentoring through reading. And there are countless others who have written books that have changed my life and my attitudes and my feelings that have encouraged me and stretched me and disciplined me and discipled me and, and that I read them and it increases my faith because I see what God did in their life. I can still remember the morning that I was gonna stand in front of my home church in Farmington and I was gonna announce my call to ministry. I can remember even that morning, you know, knowing yourself and talking to a couple of people about answering the call to preach is one thing, but standing in front of your church family and announcing it and then all of a sudden it's out there is something completely different. I remember waking up that Sunday morning and just really having some doubts and some anxieties about it. And I remember at the time when I graduated from high school, the church gave us all copies of My Utmost for His Highest, which is a devotional by um, Oswald Chambers. And on that particular morning, I opened it up and I read the verse and the verse was 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. And it said, preach the word. Now, some may look at that as coincidence. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. It just coincidence, right? So it's coincidence. And some might look at that and say, that was coincidence. But listen, I'm a firm believer that God gives us the word we need in the moment that we need it. And in that moment, I needed some assurance. And on that day, on that day, when I was going to announce my call to preach, the verse was preach the word. And I was like, okay, Lord, this is it. And it, but, it but here's what it did. It erased my fears. Did it erase my uncertainty? Nope. Did it, did it give me any answers to what my future was gonna look like? Nope. But in that moment, it was God's word to a young man that was about to surrender his life. And I needed that. And God does the same to us through his, through his word. Through his word. And, and so, it's, it's, so uh, there's no substitute for the Bible, but it's possible to read our way to greater peace of mind if we read the right books. And so start with the scriptures and supplement your reading after that. Always start with the scriptures and supplement our reading. So what you have, have seen or what, or what you have learned, what you've received and what you have heard, this is Paul's referring to his oral teachings, lectures and his life-changing sermons that there is power in the public reading and exposition of God's word. I can still remember as a freshman in college sitting in the upper Deneen in the band room of McKendree College listening to a fellow 18-year-old preach God's word and how that impacted my life. The message gripped my heart and then when the time came to respond, like there was nothing else for me to do but surrender to the Lord. I needed to hear everything he said and I felt like that message, like that he had studied my life, that he had studied everything where I was at in my season of life and he spoke directly into my life. Like I, I sat there and I thought, this guy knows way more about me than he should. But the reality was like, I barely knew him. I barely knew him. His name was Josh Jones and he was later the best man at my wedding. 
that I didn't know him in that moment, but man, he was speaking right to me, like right to my heart. And I remember he was a good Baptist and he, <laughs> and he had an invitation at the end of this thing. And I just remember just being in the floor and just like just weeping. Years of sin and rebellion and just not living for the Lord, just the dam broke and the tears came. And I still look back on that as a, as a pivotal moment in my life. And here's the thing, like, I, I know, like, I'm not the most gifted speaker, and I'm not the best preacher, but I do know this, if God can use a donkey to speak to Alam, then to talk to Balaam, then God can use any of us, right? If God can use a donkey, he can surely use a person to speak to people. And those, that person is, could be you. Because this, isn't, this, this discipleship isn't just us expecting and saying, well, I need to be discipled, so God, I need you to send someone into my life. It's also this mentality, I need to be doing some discipling so God brings some people into mine. Some of you are like, well, I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. Listen, if you can read the God's word and you know God's word, if you can hear God's word, if you can, if you can use God's word, you can teach somebody else. You get to something you don't know, just say, hey, I don't know. But I can use God's word and I can teach to people and I can do those things. But I'd also encourage you to listen to other preachers. We got phones with podcasts and Google Play. You want a name of a few good preachers? I'll give you some. Because there's a bunch of them out there that are great preachers, great communicators, and they teach God's word. And so listen to them. Find out, you know, because here's what the, the Bible says. In Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, the teaching, the teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. Why is that? Because as, the, as you better understand God's word, you'll be better armed to deal with the struggles and trials of life. The more we know about it, the more we understand it, the more we've hidden it in our hearts, the better armed we're gonna be to deal with the struggles and trials of life. So what you have heard, and then finally what you have seen. This brings us full circle to the life-giving examples that strengthen our faith and reduce our fears as we observe them. People saw Paul's enthusiasm even in the midst of suffering, that his life was anchored to hope in Christ. Listen to his words in Philippians 1.14. He says, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I want you to think about your, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Can we have that same attitude? That because of my fill in the blank, because of my depression, because of my cancer, because of my children, or because of my whatever, fill in the blank, because of my struggle, because you can just, whatever you want it to be, because of that, Believers have gained confidence and speak boldly God's message without fear. Because of my... So maybe it changes the way we view the, things, the circumstances we face. The presence of people of faith has a massive impact on those who cross our paths. I'll go back to early on in, in my Christian life, a guy named Mark Sigma. And this was literally, you talk about crossing paths, it was literally one of these moments I was walking out of my dorm. He was walking out of the cafeteria. I'm headed to class. He's headed somewhere. And he says, hey, Reigns, how are you? 
And I go, I'm good, man. You know, the, the, the typical Christian greeting. I'm good, I'm good. And it was like in that moment, he stopped and he turns around and he goes, are you? What made him stop? I, one of these days, I'm gonna get back together with him. He pastors the church in St. Charles, Missouri, and I'm gonna swing in there one of these days. And I'm like, man, what made you stop that? He probably doesn't even remember it. He probably doesn't even remember that conversation. I can tell you the class I was going to, the day it happened on, because that was when the walls began to crumble in my heart. The walls that I had built to keep all that stuff out. Like it was the one question that I could not answer, are you? And I knew the answer, it was no, I was not okay. But there are times when it's, it's simple things like that. We cross paths with people. And, and you know what, Mark had somewhere to be. His backpack was on and I just, he just happened to hear the door slam of, the, of my dorm, of the, the, the entryway to the dorm. And he glanced back and, hey, Reigns, it was just nonchalant. But something made him stop where he was going and turn around and ask me a simple question. And sometimes for us, that, those are the moments that God gives us where we're crossing paths with people and it's a simple question. We ask how they're doing and they give us some answer that, 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 that we don't even think about. It just flows from some unconscious, un, subconscious area of our life that we're good and no one stops to say, are you, that could radically change a person's life. And maybe you're that person that comes into someone's life and says, are you? And all of a sudden, an opportunity, and they just say, no, I'm not okay. And maybe you got somewhere to be, but I found that God sometimes works most in the times that are most inconvenient for us. And we miss out on being big blessings and being used by God's in my, God in mighty ways because we think we have something more important that we have to get to. And there's nothing more important than God's work in us coming and crossing people's paths and these divine appointments that he provides for us to give us an opportunity to shine the light of the gospel into the hearts and lives of, a person, of people. And he's given us that opportunity, just like Paul, people to see us when they see what's going on in our lives and they see us handle it with dignity and integrity and grace and love. They see the strength that wells up from somewhere within us and they say, I wanna know where that comes from and I wanna have some of that in my life. They see the peace that surpasses all understanding that falls in our life in moments where we ought to be pulling our hair out and, 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 and losing all hope. And they see that not only do we have peace, but we have a smile because, because of where our hope and our peace is anchored. And that is the opportunity that Christ gives us as Christians, as disciples of him, one, he gives us a body of people to come alongside us and mentor us and disciple us, but he also gives us the opportunity to walk outside these church doors and begin discipling other people. This week, I had an opportunity to sit down with, with Luke and, and, uh, and Zach, and we were, we'd gone, I had gone to get a cup of coffee. They walk in getting a cup of coffee, and they were there to, they were, him, Luke and Zach were gonna study God's word together. I said, well, hey, if you guys don't mind, I'll just, I'll just sit down with you. And we were sitting there and we were talking about the book of Daniel, just kind of fleshing out kind of what that book and different things that happened. And, and uh, I just stopped and I turned and looked at Zach and I said, Zach, this, this right here is what discipleship is. This is what bearing fruit looks like. I said, sitting down 
inviting people to study God's word with you and just talking about God's word. And I said, this isn't hard, is it? He's like, no, not really. And I'm like, you can do this with your buddies. You can invite some friends to just sit down and just read God's word together. In fact, I'll, I'll probably take that a step further with us this morning that there's probably someone who you work with that's a Christian that's struggling and they've been praying for, that, for help in living the Christian life. They just need someone to come alongside them. And maybe that person's you. You just need to, you just need to break the ice and say, hey, I've been thinking about doing something different on my lunch break, just sitting down and maybe getting a small group of guys together and just kind of reading God's word and studying it. Would you be interested in that? And it may be that the answered prayer, we had a situation last week with Craig and work and just him talking about a bracelet, something to break the ice, having a bracelet on. Next day, some, one of his coworkers comes in and, puts a, put, and he, he has a devotional sitting on his desk now. Why? Because he just needed someone to just give him a little bit of encouragement. Just kind of give him a little pat on the back and a shove in the right direction. That's what discipleship is. And and it's something that we can all, all of us can do. There are things that we hear that we can share. There are things that we read that we can share. There are things that we read that that impact our life and that change the way we, we, we physically live. Because when the storm's raging outside, we can still have a smile on our face because we know the one who is in control, who can calm the wind and still the seas. We know who that person is. But here's the thing as we close this morning. Discipleship may take a lifetime, but becoming a disciple disciple takes a moment. And that's where it all begins, is choosing to follow Christ choosing to surrender to him, to not say, God, I want my cake and eat it too. I'll, I'll do this on Sunday, but I'm gonna do what I wanna do the rest of the week. It's just surrendering to him and saying, God, I know who you are and I know what you wanna do and it, it says that you will fulfill your purpose in me and so God, I wanna see that purpose fulfilled. I wanna see what you wanna do through me and I wanna give you the chance to do that. And if that's you this morning, it, it begins with salvation. Maybe this morning you've never, you've never been saved. We would love to show you what that means. But there's only one place to be saved, and that's through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's nowhere else. It's not good deeds. It's, it's, it's nothing else. It's faith in him because he died. As I, that's why that song, I love that last song we sang. I cast my eyes to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me to see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My savior on that cursed tree. But I love that third verse. But on the third at break of dawn, the son of heaven rose again. And then the fourth verse is even better. When he returns in robes of white, he'll be the son So I'll pierce the night and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Man, that's some good stuff. It's good if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. But just like I mentioned earlier, he's pursuing you. 
He is pursuing you. And right now, His Spirit's bearing witness with our spirit. His Spirit is giving testimony to the facts and the truth that Jesus is the Savior. Are you saved this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you prayed a prayer at some point, but man, life really hasn't. What we're talking about this morning, like life doesn't look like that. There's not a peace. There's not any of that stuff. And maybe now you're realizing it's because I've been doing things my way and now I want to do things God's way. Maybe this morning you just need the courage to say, you know what, I, I want to not only be discipled, but God, I want the courage to be a discipler. I want to teach people about you. I don't want the need is, but let's stand this morning. Let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer. And as we pray, you ask him, say, Lord, in what way do I need to respond this morning to this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, you know where each and every person is at.